Welcome to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We believe that there is no message more life-changing and more relevant than the gospel. It is our earnest prayer that you will be enriched as a disciple and that you will hear the good news today. Today I want to begin with a reading from John chapter 10 and verse 10. And most of you know that we honor God and honor God's word by standing while we read. And if you're willing and able, please continue to do so. The Bible says this in John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Heavenly Father, we thank you for life. Without you, we would not have it. God, you are the creator of all things. You are the re-creator of all things. You are the God of creation, the God of liberation, the God of resurrection. Today, may we know that power. Speak today, Father, for your children are listening. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. On August 23rd, 2005, a tropical storm that had formed in the Bahamas made landfall between Miami and Fort Lauderdale, Florida as a Category 1 storm. I don't know how many of you spend a lot of time down in Florida or where storms, tropical storms or hurricanes come rolling through, but Category 1 is not generally enough to make people leave. Okay, they generally say, oh, we can weather this out, no problem. The Category 1 storm came through. It did some minor damage. Most expected it would blow itself out as it made land. Unexpectedly, the category, war, the category 1 storm made its way all the way across the peninsula and into the Gulf without dying out. And it hit the warm water of the Gulf and it quickly intensified. It rapidly grew and expanded. And on the morning of August 29th, 2005, Hurricane Katrina now a large Category 4 hurricane with sustained winds in excess of 170 miles per hour hit the southern coast of Louisiana outside of New Orleans. In New Orleans, the officials believed that they had dodged a bullet because the storm did not hit the city directly. They soon realized just how wrong they were. with most of the city below sea level, getting 10 inches of rain per hour was a little more than they were prepared for. But it was the 26-foot storm surge that allowed two levees, the Industrial Canal Levee and the 17th Street Canal Levee to be overtopped. Water began pouring over the top and into the city. Worse, several levees were breached. 
or they failed outright collapsing under the weight and the immense pressure of all that water. To tell you how quickly things went from bad to worse, by the afternoon of August 29th, 20% of the city was underwater. By the next day, 80% of the city was under 20 feet of water. Shortages of food and potable water, drinkable water, became immediate crises. Relief efforts were stymied and as almost because of impassable roads and unstoppable flooding. It was the costliest natural disaster in American history, costing more than $160 billion in damage and repair. It was also one of the deadliest in a history claiming 1,800 lives. In the years immediately following the hurricane, as the city tried to revive, the population declined drastically. So many simply had nothing to come home to. There was no more home to return to, and so they relocated. By 2020, 15 years later, the population of New Orleans had declined more than 20%. Now, some of the city has been restored and is functional again. Other portions, in particular the portions that don't make the headlines, the portions that are not where the saints play, the portions that where the cameras don't roll very often, have never recovered. One of them, in particular, one of the poorest areas, known as the Ninth Ward of New Orleans, took it the worst and is still struggling to recover. Death is real. But I'm asking you to believe in resurrection. I want to show you a video that features a veteran named Burnell Cotlin, who is from the Ninth Ward. And I want, I want to show you what he did and what, what I believe God has done through him. Manual. She was an elderly lady, and it didn't hit me 
until I seen her drive up in a taxi cab one day and she was taking the groceries out of the back of the cab. And um, I asked her, what, what was going on? She said, but no, you didn't know when they have any grocery stores. So I jumped in my car and I drove up and down the Lord Nightboard and trying to find out we didn't have any businesses at all. No grocery stores, no barber shops, didn't have anything. That's crazy. That's crazy. So I started calling up all of the big box stores, asking them why they not coming to the Lord Night Ward to open up a business. And they said because of the, the number of people that they have here, they're not going to come to the Lord Night Ward. That's when I found out the terminology food desert. That's crazy because somebody has to do something to help the people here. The closest store is Walmart. That's in the next city. You have to catch three city buses just to get a loaf of bread or a gallon of milk. That's an undue hardship. So I had a nice piece of change saved up. And I said, if in my world you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. The problem everybody knew. The solution is there's no grocery stores, build one. And that's what made me start on the My first business was the barbershop. If I'd have started with the grocery store first, I wouldn't have made it. So I opened up the first barber beauty salon. This window right here behind me, this was the grocery store window. Everything went out this one little bitty window. Milk, eggs, bread, cheese, everything went out that one little bitty window. I saved all my money up from that little bitty window. It was finally opened up to open the first doors here to the actual grocery store. Uh, we brought the next business as the laundromat. I can't wait for this to be finished. gentleman came one day, he uh, had a big old huge garbage bag. He bought two things. He bought some liquid uh, uh, detergent and a Coca-Cola. He picked the bag up and walked across the street to the bus stop. I walked over behind him and introduced myself and asked him where he was going. He opened it up. It was full of dirty clothes. He told me he didn't have a laundry room. He didn't have a washing machine dryer. So I shook his hand. I said, you give me a little bit and I'm going to open up a laundry room. So that's my next venture, is open up the first laundry room in the neighborhood. Uh, we're finally about to get a school here. Ten years later, it's, it's, I'm sorry to get how emotional, but I get, I get so angry when I know how the, the people are suffering here. Um, I bought another building, and I'm going to do with this building here, I'm going to open up the first internet cafe. So to give these kids a place where they can come and get free Wi-Fi, you know, some donuts and coffee, just hang out and things. The school is supposed to be open up in May. Because I have my fingers crossed, I hope, hope it does open. Uh, after this year, I'm going to start some more businesses. I'm going to start building houses. Because there's such a need here in the Lord Night Ward. There's, there's a tremendous need here and, and nobody else is doing it. I have Wi-Fi here, and the kids come here every day. Burnell, can you open up uh, a chicken cheese? Can you open up a skate? People ask me for all kinds of things, and there's, there's nowhere for them to hang out here. So I decided to open up an internet cafe. You know, give the kids a place where, when they get out of school, they can walk over here, pop open their laptops, and, and have a place they can hang out and things, so they won't get any trouble. So uh, that's my next vision. My, my life has made a uh, 180 degree turnaround. I've literally had people from all over the world to come and do interviews. I've people from Japan, Germany, Australia, uh, Berlin, Iraq, from 
all over the world that came here to do interviews. It's it's phenomenal. Uh, Japan had came here because they have a lot of tsunamis there. And they came here because they said a lot of small businessmen are afraid to rebuild because they're afraid of another tsunami. So the reporter asked me, how did I feel about another Katrina? They said, would you, would you, aren't you afraid of another Katrina? I said, what if Katrina never come again? Then he asked, well, what if you build a business and they don't come? I said, what if I build a business and they do come? So the light bulb went off in his head. Oh, he's a positive person. My story made number one in Japanese TV. And it's, it's all over the world. All the major news outlets, everybody been here. I see a second floor on here. I see several other businesses around. I want to open up a, a daycare center. I want to put a movie theater back here. I want to continue with my internet cafe. There's so much that still needs to be done. We, we're in dire straits here in the Lower Nightwood. There's so many people here. There are a lot of people even want to come back home, but there's not enough businesses. So I'm going to keep on going. But I see the Lord Knight Board 10 years from now thriving just like it was before Katrina. And that's my dream. That's my vision. So here's, here's a guy who's... You can clap if you want to. I, I'm not going to... I mean, he's not here. The next step is not, welcome, Burnett. You know, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not bringing him out. No, it is, it is pretty cool, though, to see the way he is embodying the idea that death does not get the last word. Okay, and, the, and that the story of comeback, which we've been talking about for quite a few weeks, the story of comeback is not limited to individuals, but to communities, to neighborhoods, to would you believe me if I told you the whole world? At its core, the gospel is about resurrection power. What does the victory of life over death, what does the gospel of life mean in a world where death is so prevalent and easily seen? So I want to share with you a story from Scripture from Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, we get this story where Jesus goes to this town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. There is some irony in this story that you don't notice immediately. And that's because you probably don't know that the, the name of the town, Nain, literally translates to beautiful. So as Jesus approaches the gate to the town of beautiful, he is greeted by a funeral procession. Okay, there's some irony there. He's going into beautiful, and what's coming out is this corpse that is being carried out on a stretcher. Now, in, in this day and age, in this culture, they wouldn't have used caskets. They would have had a funeral buyer. They would have had, they would have had a, a, a stretcher, basically, most likely covered from head to toe in a burial shroud. And all funerals are bleak. 
but this one's exceptionally so. The text explains that this is the only son of a widow. In those days, if you were a widow, you were basically poor. Because as a woman, you could not legally own property, you could not legally own your business. So you were dependent on your husband to provide for you. Because she's a widow, we know what? Her husband has already passed. Which means now she is dependent on her family, and if you're lucky enough to have a son, then that son becomes the one who provides for you. And that's the person on the stretcher. So as Jesus encounters this widow, he is looking at someone who is destined for a marginalized life in certain poverty. This woman had lost two of the closest loved ones and was possibly looking at begging for her next meal. She had a broken heart and a grim future. But then Jesus shows up. Look at verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the bier that they were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus speaks first to the widow. And when Jesus speaks to the widow, his words are, don't cry. Now, in this day and age, it would have been a common message for a rabbi to approach someone and say, if they were in a crisis or a tragedy, don't cry right now because that's not going to change the situation. Okay, those... Those tears don't water any flowers, so let's not go ahead. That doesn't help anything. But that's not why Jesus approaches her. Jesus approaches her and he says, don't cry, not because it won't change anything, but because everything she knows is about to change. Jesus is about to speak with authority into her life and remove the reason for her grief. You see, Jesus stops the funeral procession. I don't know if you've thought about this, but interrupting funerals is not usually a way to become very popular. But Jesus does it anyway. Now, normally, if a funeral, pro pro if a funeral procession was coming through, you would step aside. You might... Out of respect, bow your head. Okay, uh, some of you may have been driving long enough to know that normally when you see a funeral procession coming through, a little time ago, everyone, you would pull over out of respect and let the funeral procession come through. Now we're like, nope, I don't know what's going on. I still stop, people get mad at me. I'm all right with it. I've had people mad at me for a lot better reasons than that. 
But, but as, when the procession comes through, usually you would step aside as a sign of respect. But what Jesus does is it says that Jesus goes up and he doesn't just say, hey, everybody, let's stop for a second. Jesus puts his hand on the stretcher. You can read it. He took hold of it. And so they're standing still like, uh, what are we supposed to do now? This guy just grabbed the stretcher. Even further, the law makes it very clear. If you come into contact with a dead body, you're made unclean. So that someone would approach the funeral procession and then touch the stretcher and the cloth and begin to talk to the This person is doing something so abnormal that it would have been attention-grabbing to say the least. He is stopping this funeral because... Jesus doesn't care about the cultural customs or norms. He is on a mission to glorify the Father by conquering death. And that is what Jesus is doing in his whole life. And so in this moment, this singular expression, it looks exactly like that. So he's not going to worry about not making a scene. He knows he's causing a scene because when he shows up at the funeral, he's not going to be subtle about stopping it. Here's the question. Do you think Jesus still does that today? Do you think Jesus still approaches, sees the stretcher coming through, and stops it because he is about glorifying the Father by giving life victory over death? Does Jesus still do that? Does Jesus do that in our lives? I believe it with all my heart that Jesus does. So he speaks to the woman and he says, don't cry. Then he speaks to the, the, the dead person and he says this, get up. Jesus is reaching with his power and his authority into death and commanding that which was dead to be made alive again. He wasn't simply hoping something good would happen. Jesus was giving death an order. You let go of this one. And death listened. Because the God of life is stronger than the power of death. Now that's the gospel. I'm thankful because, because Don and Mike just got it. And I heard them. The rest of y'all can ask them what I'm talking about later. Because I don't know if you got it yet. Because that was good news. That was gospel if it's ever been preached. That the God of life is stronger than the power of death. Because I don't know where you live, but I see the power of death on display almost every day. I see it in almost every life. I see it in almost every mirror. He says to him, get up. 
And that's the same word that Jesus is speaking into your life and my life today. Get up. The enemy wants to bury you. The enemy has you laid out on your stretcher and convinced that you are defeated and dead, that you are finished, that your story is over. But praise God for a Jesus who is not afraid to interrupt funerals. Far too many people think that the power and the presence of Jesus don't have anything to do with our lives today. One of the greatest tools of the enemy is to convince you that Jesus doesn't care about you or doesn't work the same way he used to work back then. That somehow you are too far removed from the life of Jesus to experience his power. Right now, Jesus is approaching your stretcher. Taking hold of the very thing that is carrying you to your grave. And speaking the words of life to you. Get up. This is the gospel in the purest sense that Jesus raises the dead. Jesus was crucified on a cross between two criminals. And the invitation for new life was available to anyone who would ask for it. Even there. Jesus would remember them if they so wished. There at the cross, a feast of mercy and grace was available to anyone, everyone, even the criminals beside him. And that same power is at work today. Do you understand? Jesus has triumphed over death, triumphed over hell, triumphed over sin, and triumphed over the grave. The gospel is about resurrection power. And that is the power at work in us when we give ourselves to Jesus. That's why we put you in the water, burying you, and we raise you up Bringing you into new life. The gospel is about resurrection power. And it changes things. It makes dead things alive again. It turns hearts. It restores lives. It makes us born again. That's interesting language, isn't it? It's almost like the God of life is doing God's thing again. I thought I was dead. Nope, you're born again. Look at the way that, that the Bible puts it in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and, 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 and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who's now at work and those who are disobedient don't get tracked there or don't get tripped up. The ruler of the kingdom of the air does not mean good because air is up. Okay, he's talking about an elemental spirit in this world. You're following an elemental spirit in this world that is not God. It's the spirit at work in those who are disobedient. Keep going. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature... 
deserving of wrath. You were dead. But because of his great love for us. Church, you are loved. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. You were dead, but you've been made alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. You are not alive because you did something. You're alive because God did something. And why would God do that for you? Because he's rich in mercy and he loves you like crazy. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Our God is a God of grace. And without Christ we are dead and it turns out that being dead is a pretty big problem. It's hard to do much once you're dead. But I have great news. Through Jesus, those who are dead are raised back to life. Don't you understand? Jesus did not simply come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive again. This is so much more than a gospel. Uh, it wouldn't be a gospel at all if it were simply about telling you how to be good. That's good advice. I don't have much good advice right now, but I have a lot of good news. But it's not about you getting your ducks in a row. Yes, you're going to be sanctified. That's what God's presence does. But you can't, man, this is my granddad coming out in me. <laughs> you can't clean the fish before you catch it. Yes, good works are prepared for you. You're going to get to do those. But that's not what's saving you. That's not what's bringing you into God's presence. What's bringing you into God's presence is God's grace. And it's transforming you. And so, yes, there is a sanctification to come, but you got to be made alive first. Because dead people don't do that much. But it's not just about behavior modification. This is the gospel of life conquering death. The same power... The same power that raised us up also empowers us to live this new life. And so living in light of the resurrection, in light that Jesus did for me what I could never do for myself, 
Okay, living in light of that becomes an everyday experience. The gospel is about every day. It's not just something I believe once and therefore I'm taken care of. It is something that I resubmit to every day, every day, every day. And when we realize this about Jesus, we'll want to respond in a big way just like they did in Nain. Look at verses 16 and following. They were filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Now the first reaction they have, they're filled with awe. They are stunned. Some translations say they are silent. Okay, the first reaction they have is stunned silence, awe. The second reaction, did you read it? They were filled with awe and praised God. The second reaction was proclaiming praise. The second reaction was worship. And while they may have had plenty to say later on as they reflected about the dead man who's now alive, and they may have had plenty to say about the widow who's now not alone, they have nothing else in this moment to say other than to proclaim the greatness of who Jesus is. They realize that here in our presence is the living God. And they can't shut their mouth. They can't stay silent for long and so they worship. They'd just seen the most amazing miracle take place and they erupted into praise. They clapped, they shouted, they, they cheered, they fell on their knees. Some of them from the Church of Christ tradition raised both hands. This is excited. This is what we look like, excited. But this, that's total surrender, baby. For the churches of Christ, this is what we got. I love my brethren. This, this is, that's us, man. They got both hands up. They are excited. All right. I, I, other, other groups may have been cheering. We, we, we're a little more restrained than that. But that's the right reaction when the Son of God is in your midst calling off the funeral and sending the empty stretcher back the way it came. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it. And so I'm going to show you a long quote from the message, but I want to show you these verses in the way that he translates this. He says, they all realized they were in a place of holy mystery that God was working among them. They were quietly worshipful and then noisily grateful. Read that again. They were quietly worshipful and then noisily grateful, calling out among themselves, God is back. Looking into the needs of his people, the news of Jesus spread throughout all the country. Kenny, you can go ahead and bring your team up. God is back. Do you hear what they're saying? God is back. Things are happening again. God never went anywhere. God give us eyes to see that you never go anywhere. But sometimes we're not available. 
Sometimes we're distracted. Sometimes we're busy. Sometimes we're dead. And the message of the gospel today is that Jesus loves to interrupt funerals. And in God's hands, in Jesus' hands, God turns stretchers into worship celebrations. Paul wrote it in Ephesians chapter 5, 14. He even starts taunting death. He says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You see, Jesus' message to you today is that there's not going to be a funeral today. Not for you. He's the God of the comeback. And so the question is, will you let him touch your life and heal you and turn your life around? Do you think that you are so far gone that you're on the stretcher being carried to your grave? Because even then, you are not too far gone. Amen? Let's stand and praise our God. We sincerely thank you for listening and pray that you were blessed today. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, to support our ministry, or to contact us with any prayer needs you may have, head over to www.rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.